Is it really the thought that counts? How government makes poverty worse. Hello, and thank you for listening to today's episode of Second Look. We're continuing our series from last week. I don't know how long it's going to go. We'll just have to see. But we are talking about poverty. Second Look is, of course, the show from the Outset Network where we pause and re-examine issues in politics and culture. So today on the show, I wanted to take a little bit different of a look at poverty, and instead of just talking about what causes poverty and uh, one really essential part of fighting poverty that I talked about last week, which is private property, if you haven't tuned in into last week's episode yet, I highly recommend you do that before listening to this one. But hey, I'm glad to have you here. So if you're just like, no, I'm not going to listen to last week's. Alrighty. (laughs) Hope you enjoy this week's. So like I said, we're talking about how the government makes poverty worse. But I just want to remind you that Second Look is brought to you by Octopod and their innovative mobile charging solutions for your phone and tablet. Never have your battery run out on you ever again. Just head on over to octo-pod.com slash outset and use the coupon code OUTSET when you check out. So, if you're like me, you spend a whole lot of time thinking through issues. I do this a lot. I'll just randomly say things to my wife, Meredith, where she's like, what? Where'd that come from? And I'm just like, oh, sorry. I was just sitting there thinking again. (laughs) And when I'm thinking through issues in the heights of idealism in my brain, I'm really an (laughs) anarcho-capitalist. Ideally, I'd like to see that there's no government. And, but... I I agree with James Madison in what he wrote in Federalist number 51. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. Government is very annoying to me, but I do believe it is necessary. And in a nutshell, my government philosophy is this. The state exists to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. Now, it's a lot more complex than that, but really everything goes back to that one simple idea of what government should do. Now, the reason why I'm sharing all of this is to say that even though... In my heart of hearts, I wish we didn't even need government. I believe that it's okay for the government to intervene in the economic market to help individuals in poverty. However, intentions mean nothing. What's the phrase? The the road to hell is paved with good intentions? So often, we judge policies based on what they're intended to do, and you can not do that. 
when it comes to public policy. The consequences of the policy are what matters. And sometimes, especially as regards poverty, the consequences are disastrous. And the policy actually ends up hurting the very people that it's intended to help. So, let's talk about something that's common in discussions on poverty. We have a minimum wage worker. He's a single guy in this case. And he works 40 hours a week. He makes the federal minimum wage, which is uh, $7.25 an hour. And he works 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. So he's earning... $267.80 every week and $13,925.60 every year. And that, those numbers are the compensation he actually receives. That's his net pay. So, this guy is really struggling. He can barely afford his rent. Um, He lives, say, in New York City, somewhere where rent's really expensive. Well, guess what? The government is actually making his situation worse. And here are four key ways. Number one is that the government punishes poor people for working. So let's take our guy. We'll, we'll give him a name. We'll call him Stephen. So Stephen, like we said, he works 40 hours a week and he's making minimum wage, but he lives in a really expensive city. So he has also enrolled in um, SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and he also gets some housing vouchers from the government That way he can afford to pay his rent and he can afford to buy himself food. Well, Steve is really good at his job. He works really hard and he ends up finding another job that's going to pay him $9 an hour to do the same job. And he really actually likes his job. A lot of minimum wage workers don't, but he's happy. He's going to be able to do this same job that he likes, and he's going to be making $9 an hour instead of seven twenty-five. So he takes um, this new job. Well, his benefits get cut. And he's okay. You know, he has to tighten his belt a little bit, even though he's making a little more money because his government benefits got cut. He has to tighten his belt just a little bit, but he thinks it's worth it because he can get a better job. Well, it turns out that he's actually really good at his job. And one of his new jobs competitors notices and says, Hey, I want you to work for me. I will pay you $29,000 a year to come work full-time for me. That's a huge pay increase for Stephen. So he takes the job and suddenly has no benefits. His, His 
food stamps suddenly drop drastically. And suddenly he can't afford to pay the bills even though he's making significantly more money. In effect, the government has punished him for working hard and being good at his job. So how do we fix this? This is one I'm really not sure about. It's something I'm conflicted about because I do believe that government aid should be means-tested, I think. (laughs) Here I am making a podcast episode about what I think I believe, but bear with me here. There there are arguments to be made that government assistance should be means-tested to make sure people aren't gaming the system. So then, if you make more money, you should receive less money from the government. This way, you're not just dependent on the government. But, Say, if if someone's taking money from the government in different programs, like Stephen, who's taking it from food stamps and he's getting some housing assistance, then those benefits would both get cut. Even if you might be able to afford one or the other, sometimes you can't afford both of them dropping. And specifically in the case of food stamps, as your income approaches $30,000 a year, your your benefits drop drastically. It It is not... I don't have the exact facts and figures here, but it's not a slow decline. It starts out that way, but it's exponential. So the closer you get to it, boom, you suddenly have less money. So that's not good. But that's what happens when you means test. Then then if someone makes more money, they get less benefits. That feels fair, but it can actually punish people for working harder. So there's got to be a better way there. One thing people have suggested is maybe a, a guaranteed basic income, and that is an idea worth exploring, and that's something we're going to get into as part of this series, but not tonight. So if you want to hear me talk about that, come back in a few weeks, maybe next week. I don't even know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, guaranteed basic income is a very intriguing thing. But it can't be argued that the government makes the poverty worse by essentially putting people in these poverty traps. If they work harder and earn more money, they get fewer benefits. But if they are, um, and can't pay the bills, but if they work less, then they have enough money to pay the bills. So it's disincentivizing work, and it actually punishes you for working harder and getting a better job. And that's not a good thing. No matter how, no matter what your opinion on welfare anything is, I think we can all agree that the government should not punish you for working. That's just crazy. Number two way that the government makes poverty worse for Stephen, who's making $13,925.60 per year. Again, he's back at his first job. Is by having a minimum wage law. What? Well, there's a lot of debate over the minimum wage law, and one side on this issue seems to think that if the government raises the minimum wage, 
then workers will have more money and they will spend more money and it will stimulate the economy. There's some fault in that logic, in my opinion, in in the way I look at this issue, and I think the facts are on the side of those who oppose the minimum wage. If Think about it this way. If raising the minimum wage would stimulate the economy, why not raise it to $50 an hour? Why not raise it to, to make it a minimum salary? Make sure everybody makes $50,000 a year. Why should it stop at some arbitrary point if it's going to be helpful to the government? Well, maybe you say... Well, raising it a little bit would help the economy, but if you raise it too much, it would hurt. So let's just say, we I, I don't have any statistics to support or deny that claim. So let's just assume for the sake of debate that that's true. If we raised the minimum wage a little bit, the economy as a whole would grow. And But, but we don't want to raise it too much because that would damage the economy. Well, actually, if you look at the data and adjust for inflation, and I am taking this from Professor Anthony Davies. He's a professor of economics at Duquesne University, and he has some excellent videos over at Learn Liberty. In fact, I'm, I'm leaning heavily on Learn Liberty and similar resources to make this series on poverty because, frankly, I'm no economics scholar myself. But... In this video from Learn Liberty, which I will link to in the show notes at OutsetMagazine.com, Dr. Davies shows the data adjusted for inflation that shows that um, minimum wage hikes have no effect, no statistical effect, on unemployment levels in college-educated workers. A lot of conservatives argue that, well, if we raise the minimum wage, it's going to increase unemployment. So, sure, those making more money will be better off, but a lot of people are going to get laid off. That, that, that's the argument a lot of conservatives and libertarians adhere to. Well, there's no statistical effect on those who have graduated college. However, it is a documented trend with some exceptions, that it does increase unemployment among high school-educated workers. But where this gets serious is that if you look at those workers, the poorest, the least skilled, least educated workers, those who have not even earned a high school diploma, there is a strong correlation between the minimum wage and unemployment in that the higher the minimum wage is, the higher unemployment is among these low-skill, low-education workers. The minimum wage hurts the very people it's trying to help. And the data backs this up and logic backs this up So I'm just going to go ahead and say, I believe the minimum wage should be abolished. I 
I can't really see any argument for having a minimum wage that's actually fact-based. I have yet to hear one. Most arguments for the minimum wage appeal uh, to emotion or Keynesian economic theory, which is proven time and time again to be false and not actually work. So, yeah. Second way the government makes poverty worse is by enforcing the minimum wage. I'm going to continue in just a minute, but I just want to remind you, in case for whatever reason you tuned out at the beginning, that this show is brought to you only because of our faithful sponsor, Octopod. Um, Octopod is really great. They have awesome products. I myself own an Ion 3. They also have the Ion Solar and Ion 10. And anytime I am in a jam and need a battery, it is great to know that my phone is not going to be dead. Um, if I'm having a long day at work or a long day at school and my phone's about to die, I can just hook it up to the Octopod and it charges really quick. Get yourself one. Head on over to octo-pod.com slash outset and use the coupon code OUTSET when you check out. So, our first way that the government, um makes poverty worse is that it punishes poor people for working. The second way is that it enforces minimum wage laws. The third way is that the government steals money from your paycheck. Now that's a little bit more, um, what do I want to say, rabid language than I usually use on this show. But it's it's something that's downright offensive to me. In our example above, Stephen, our minimum wage worker, was making how much? Well, a little over $13,000. $13,900, actually. A lot over $13,000. A little under $14,000. Well... Let's say that the federal minimum wage doesn't increase. It's still $7.25 an hour, but instead, the federal government stops taking money out of your paycheck. Well, suddenly, Stephen's going to have $290 a week, and he's going to make $15,080 a year. That's almost $1,000 more than he was making before. That's a huge amount. I said he lives in New York City. That's like a month's rent. Uh, It's just a huge difference in his paycheck, having that $1,000. Even if Stephen pays no income tax, the government is still taking $1,000 from him. Why is that okay? Why are we okay with that like it's it's a topic that's honestly offensive to me it is stealing money from those who need it most now understand i don't like this coming from anyone's paycheck i i don't like uh i guess it's fica tax and social security tax i sh- I, sh- I should have looked up the exact names but but the taxes that automatically come out of your paycheck i don't like that 
But I, I find it offensive that we do this to poor people. It's just mean and it's wrong if you think about it. Well, the argument is part of this money does go toward Social Security. So they're going to get Social Security when they're older. That That's good, right? Well, actually, no. It's not. Even the benefit from taking these taxes out of people's pockets isn't actually a benefit. And I'm going to refer again to a video from Anthony Davies. This is just a plug from me personally. This isn't an endorsement from Outset. It's not sponsored. It's just me uh, telling you about an awesome thing. It's Learn Liberty. LearnLiberty.org is the website. And they have a lot of videos. I think they have over 300 videos. And they're well-researched. They're from college professors and experts and they have some programs, too, that you can go through. And Learn Liberty has really changed the way I approach issues and changed a lot of my thinking about stuff. Um, I, I've really gained a lot from checking out the videos there. So if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind liberty and how they play out in regards to poverty and the environment and the NSA and all sorts of things, I highly recommend you check out learnliberty.org. So, like I said, that was just a personal plug from me. I will link to this second Anthony Davies video also in the show notes at outsetmagazine.com. Social Security is actually an incredibly unsafe investment. And Dr. Davies lays out the case for that better than I ever could, but I'll try to do it in a nutshell here. If you invest your money on Social Security, you can expect a 1.2% annual real return. What the Social Security Administration does is it takes money out of everyone's paycheck and invests it in U.S. Treasury bonds. And then it gives back certain amounts of money to you when you get older. And the the reason this program came about is because a lot of elderly people were in poverty. Um, and this was intended to help people not not be in poverty, to help people have a safe, guaranteed source of income and, and a safe place to invest. People who had uh, grown up in the Great Depression weren't investing money in the stock market, and when they got older and couldn't work anymore, they didn't have any savings. Well, as Dr. Davies points out, it's actually a dangerous place to invest your money because it's in the hands of the 435 members of the United States House of Representatives who could change your benefits at any time. I I don't want my retirement being handled by people who have never met me who are in Washington, D.C. That's a long way away from where I live. 
it's a very different city than the city I live in. I don't want them in charge of my retirement. I want me and maybe a financial planner in charge of my retirement. Your money is not safe if it's in the Social Security Administration. So if the government wants to help poor people, it should stop taking their money and putting it in this unsafe program. Not only is it unsafe, but like I said before, you can expect a 1.2% annual real return on it. What's the Social Security Administration doing? It's taking your money, investing it in treasury bonds, and eventually giving it back to you. If you just invested that money in treasury bonds yourself, cutting out the middleman, you would get a 1.7% annual real return. You would make more money if the Social Security Administration didn't exist. This isn't calling for an outright abolition of Social Security. I think Social Security is a very broken agency, and it terribly means reformed. What this is calling for is for the government to stop stealing from people's paychecks and forcing them to put their money in this inefficient, dangerous investment scheme. I... Yeah... I'm going to stop ranting about this. It's devolving into a rant, and I don't want it to do that. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on to number four. But first, a review. What are the ways the government makes poverty worse? Number one, poverty traps. It punishes people for working harder. Number two, minimum wage laws. Minimum wages actually make unemployment worse for people who need it the most. The lowest educated, lowest skilled workers lose their jobs when the minimum wage goes up. Number three, the government steals money from people's paychecks. Number four, the government devalues your money. This is one that I didn't understand when I was a little kid. I didn't understand why the government didn't just make more money. And then, as I got older, I guess I just kind of assumed that we were on a gold standard. When, when I learned about what money actually was, it wasn't just magical paper that buys you things, but it actually is supposed to have value... And if you, as I learned about history and you learn about coins and things, I just kind of assumed it was on a gold standard. And I remember I was in high school. I don't, it, it must have been my freshman year of high school when I learned that um, th- our money today is money because the U.S. government says, here, this is money and it's worth $1 and it's not actually backed up by anything. I just couldn't believe how stupid it was. <laughs> Well, now that I'm a little more educated, I can see that there are arguments for this, but I still find fault in the arguments. They, again, largely stem from Keynesian economic theory, which has proven time and time again not only to be wrong about how it it doesn't stimulate demand the way Keynes theorized it would. It doesn't stimulate the economy, rather. But but 
in a lot of cases, including the United States Great Depression, these theories of more government spending and um, government doing more manipulation of currency, it actually makes the problem worse. And one of the best examples is the minimum wage. In 1956, the federal minimum wage was $1 per hour. As of October 26th, 2015, those four quarters you would have earned at having having worked one hour, you would have gotten four quarters. To October 26th, 2015, those four quarters have the purchasing power of $11.52. Why? Well, because they had silver in them. (laughs) Because they were money that was backed up by a finite resource, and it wasn't just printed on paper or, worse, invented in a digital blip. It's real money. (laughs) How does this hurt poor people? Well, inflation happens. The if if you adjust for inflation, the 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 coins are worth $11.52. That's just crazy. That was worth $1 60 years ago. So, over those 60 years, any money you have saved has lost over 90% of its value. As inflation continues, this just gets worse and worse. This is where we have the horror stories of countries like Zimbabwe, where you pay $35 trillion for lunch, or um, in post-World War II Germany, where you'd sit down and drink your cup of coffee, and if you didn't pay for it before you drank it, you couldn't afford it anymore because the inflation was happening so fast. I, the, this hurts poor people in one simple way, and it's that it keeps them from being able to save. It makes them dependent on things like Social Security. Poor people aren't lesser humans. But they can use a leg up sometimes. The government can step in and help. But, as I said before, it's not the thought that counts. Actions have consequences. Public policies make changes in people's lives. And we have four policies here. For pra- I guess the first one's more of a practice that actually make it harder for people to escape poverty. We need to rethink our public policy and put forth solutions that will actually help individuals get a leg up. When they fall down, we need to help them up. It's that simple. And over the next few weeks... I'm really excited about this series. You and I are going to look at some ways that we can help people get back up.
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of Second Look. I really enjoyed making it, and I hope you really enjoyed listening to it. Uh, please give me feedback. You can find me on Twitter at BeGreenEasy, or you can always comment on this episode at OutsideMagazine.com, where those links I mentioned will be in the show notes. Now, you can also find all of these episodes in iTunes, where um, I hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And it'd be really awesome if you'd rate it. That really helps gain a lot of exposure. I say that every week. Please make sure you've gone and rated our show in iTunes. Also, check out the Stephen Perkins program and uh, Young Guns, the other podcasts here on the Outset Podcast Network. Make sure you give the awesome editor-in-chief of Outset a follow on Twitter at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. And with that, I bid you all a good week.